you won't believe the timing of this, but uh, we're about to wrap up our day. We're on the last event of the day, and we just happen to be on the Sea of Galilee. It's a hazy day, so you can't really see, but we're on the boat, the same boat with Daniel, which we've been on this boat for the last three trips that I've been on, and he's leading our team in some worship music right now, but this is uh, our team on the Sea of Galilee. I'll just walk through real quick. Sorry, guys. I can't see it. Sorry, I can't see it. There we go. There we go. morning. This chair here for a reason. So uh, Keith is going to be up here giving a message and Keith's been asking me a cool question in the last, I think he's done it like three times, but it rings in my head every week. And it's what has God done in your life this week? And I think the first time he asked me, I had a hard time coming up with an answer. I don't know that there was something I'm sure there was, but I didn't have anything that was I could recall. But I've been thinking, how am I going to answer that question next week? And so I don't know if I'm looking for it more now, but there's been there's been some things the last couple of weeks, and I'm ready for his call if he if he does if he calls and asks, I'm ready to give an answer. So um, there was a conversation. I've had a couple conversations this week, one specifically, and it was with a young man that had questions about life and it literally was like a setup if you wanted to share your faith this would have been the perfect opportunity i mean he's hurting he's struggling uh and he asked and so i would i'm always ready to give that answer i used to force that answer into people when i was a new believer i was an evangelist at heart and i thought and at that time, I thought it's my job to do that for their own good. And, you know, I steamrolled people. I won a lot of people, you know, in a sense. Uh, but as I matured, I found out that th the best way is to reflect it and give that answer as the spirit leads or when the opportunity arises. It just seems like it doesn't happen as often as I used to force it. So, um and I just want to tell you about that conversation. And if you're in my spot, think about what you would say. And if you're in his spot, think about where you're at. Maybe you can relate to him and see if that conversation is something that would apply to you. I never assume someone knows Jesus. 
Because I think there's a certain thing that has to happen before you get to know Jesus. And that thing is a decision. Now, lucky for me, I know this young man. I know his past. I know his parents. And I've, I, he's friends with my boys. And the one thing I could tell you is that the kid's intelligent. He's very sharp. And another thing I could tell you is he's impulsive. He makes big decisions. And he makes huge decisions. And he made a decision. He had one conversation with my son, and, and he was going to the Marines. He goes, I think I'm going to go to the Marines. Boom, signs up for the Marines. Like, that's a big decision. I know my son took a lot of time. Well, this kid, he, he's like, sounds good. Let's do it. And, and so, but he, he has a kid like that. He's trying to find his groove. He hasn't really found his groove in life because he thinks there is a groove. You know what I mean? And, and I, I know this. I've been around now. I'm 50 years old. There's not a groove. Okay? You might find something that's easy or good or something you love. That word passion is, a, is, is, is overrated. Okay? Go enjoy your passions on, as a hobby. But when you try to find that for a life purpose, it, it's, a, it's a fool's errand. You're running and it's not always there. Some people have it. Most people don't, though. So listen to what I, I gave him as an answer. I said, what are we talking about? He said, life. I said, okay. And I said, well, tell me, tell me what, where, where are you at? How are things going? What, what's, 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 what's up? And he says, he's, he's in a bad relationship that's not working because he can't give to the relationship and he feels like he can't receive from the relationship. So it's just a separation. And then he says, I said, well, what, what are you personally struggling with? And he's like, anxiety, depression. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds like something a counselor should handle, right? No, it's not. I'm better able to handle that question because I know I have an answer. I have an answer to that. I really do. And I'm not saying uh, there, there aren't issues or things that you shouldn't do. I just recommended someone go to a counselor the other day. That's not what I'm saying. But I know what the root cause to those two things are. One is you're looking in the past and you're looking in the future. And the other one is you're experiencing rejection in both of those views. So I know that. So I don't want to force the answer because I think he needs to receive it and, and understand that if he's open to it, this might, be for, this might be your time. So I said, hey, I can talk to you. I can hang out with you. I can talk to you about your life, and we can spend a lot of time. It'll be fun, but it'll be a waste of time, Okay. And I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to waste time with you as much as you want. You want to do this tomorrow? We'll do it tomorrow. But I'd like to ask you if I could talk to you about what I think matters, what matters in my life. I said, but I don't want, I don't want to go down that path if you're not open to it. And that is a spiritual path. And he said, I'm open to it. So as far as I know, I got the green light. So I shared my story on how I came to know Jesus Christ. And I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I made a decision to receive Jesus Christ. I made a decision. And it wasn't a tryout. It wasn't a set your chair up here, Jesus, at my conference table with everything else I got going. It wasn't that. It was a decision that I'm going to receive you and I'm going to give my life to you. And... On my side of things, that's, I guess, why I think it's stuck. I try a lot of things. I'm kind of a flake. I, I, I get into something, I get out of it. 
But that was not something I tried. I made a decision to trade my life and receive his. And I challenged this big decision maker with that decision. And I didn't push him on it. I didn't ask him to do something weird at the, a restaurant. I said, if you make a decision to do that, you will find the answers you're looking for. Period. End of story. So if you haven't made that decision, I would, I would tell you, you should. I'd like you to. If you need help with that, I'd love to help you. There's a bunch of people out here that would love to help you too. But it is a decision. And that decision, once you make it, it's no longer up to you to fulfill it. I know that sounds really weird, but he promises to function in your life and fulfill that decision, the outgrowth of it. And I'm sitting in this chair now because it's not something that you run to meet Jesus. You got to be sitting on your butt or laying down in a chair so that you have no role in this except as receiving it as a gift. If you think coming to know Jesus has something to do with you other than a decision, you're wrong. It's just not true. And we protect that gray space here in this, in this church. Thank God for that. But it's a decision. So we were sitting in a chair and I said, I said, it's that simple. And just as you've received Christ Jesus, so you walk in him. And that's restful. That's finding meaning and purpose. And that is finding full 100% acceptance from God Almighty and those that know him. And so that's my announcement. I think I'm probably going over. Rusty, I, got, I don't get up here very often because Rusty's not here. I got up here. So uh, let's go to prayer request. Anybody got anything going on that they want to bring up that they feel like you want us to know about that we can be thinking about and praying about? Father, thank you for coming to know us through your son, Jesus Christ, that you've extended um, what I said to the, the kids as a portal, a way to get to know you where it's unilateral, where we receive you as a gift, and then you fulfill our meaning and purpose in life. You fulfill our acceptance that we so desperately need, that we were made and created to walk in, to receive, to know you and the power of your resurrection. We can know that by knowing you. If there's anyone out there that has not made that decision, I pray that uh, they take courage and they go figure that out on sit down with someone and that need, if they need help and, and do that and make that decision and understand what it means, what it means to know you. And it is the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story that's being told. And it's the greatest story that will ever be told. And uh, help us to know you more, to grow in you, and help us to just yield to you. In Christ's name, amen. So I was an okay athlete, and so I got plenty of time on the uh, the bench during my days. So that song put me in coach, uh, struck a nerve with the younger version of me, and I really um, see that with kind of spiritual connotations. Uh, center field's a critical part of the of the field and sitting on the bench is a scary thing because you have subtly been told you're not so good, right? If you're on the bench and to have a desire, I'm ready to go in there and shake it up and put the pressure on me is kind of a cool thing. And that's how I see this spiritual journey is like, Lord, what's going on today? Bring something. Let's see what's going on. It may not be fun. It may not be 
what I thought it was. I might miss the ball. It might go over my head, and everybody will see my back as I'm chasing the fence. But that's why I think that song speaks a lot to me about Jesus. So it's a cool song. Thanks for playing it, guys. They didn't like the word that I might uh, start letting them do requests. So that's all good. The day was March 22nd, 1984. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that knows or knew the Keith of that day. I don't see anybody in here. Uh, that, that means I can embellish whatever happened as I see fit. But Carl Elliott was an energetic freshman who lived down the hall from me. And I was a smug grad student just weeks away from walking out of the university forever. And it was a big day, March 22nd. I was Back in that day, I was an IU basketball fan, and it was kind of a historic day for IU basketball. They were playing North Carolina with Michael Jordan that day. And I um, feel bad mentioning this because I'm, I'm now not a big fan of gambling. I've seen the damages of this, but I couldn't help myself. I told Carl... Carl, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you North Carolina, who was the favorite, and three points. That means if they win or lose by three points or less, then he would win the bet. You with me? So North Carolina, they just had to lose by less than three points, and he would win the bet. Well, they were favorite, so it would be a sucker to not take that bet, right? But the deal was, I knew something, and Carl didn't, and um, I had heard this invisible voice that said, this is a good bet. I'm not making this up. This is truth. And this invisible bet, or this invisible voice, helped me to bet him for my dinner that night. I told him, I'll give you those points for pizza tonight. And I sat there and watched the game on TV with, with Carl. He, it was a close game. Those three points were just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth the whole time. And, and he was an excitable dude, so he was just losing his mind. When it would get close, he'd lose his mind, and then it, it, would, you know, it would just go back and forth like that. And I'm just sitting there calm, cool, and collected the whole time. And then when Indiana won by four points... He's running up and down the hall cussing. He's just beside himself. And I said, be sure to put sausage on that pizza, okay? And so as I'm finishing my last piece of the pizza, I told him about that still small voice that I heard that I didn't see. Back in the day, it was called tape delay. That the radio played the game two hours before we actually watched it. It was on TV in a delayed manner. And there was no risk to me at all. I didn't feel bad at all for young Carl. He was a big boy, and he uh, liked to shoot off his mouth, so I just quieted it one time. It's the best picture I could think about when you think about life and living confidently. When you have certain things that you know, you can live a lot more confidently than if you don't know those ideas. And so, um, I'd like to see Carl again. I haven't probably seen him since I graduated, but it was a, 
it was a fun thing. So the stuff you know about the future can give you confidence to live in the present. And today we live in an insecure, uncertain society, which can create even more anxieties and uncertainty, right? And so as I throw out some ideas today, I'm essentially summarizing the first three chapters of the book of Joshua, but it won't sound like it. And I had to kind of redirect yesterday because somebody threw a wrench in my thoughts. And so um, I thought I would show you this diagram. I saw this somewhere this week and I had to uh, reevaluate it a little bit. It, um, the, the one I saw said what I think, then it had what I can put into words, and then what I say to others. And then it had a circle inside of it that said what others understand of what I said. And, and as I thought about that, I thought that's, that's a little bit arrogant to have it that way. And, and then I also I put what others perceive I said out there, which what others perceive could be any of those things. They may not, they may not understand at all what I was trying to say, and they shook their heads and walked away puzzled by what they just heard, and maybe we didn't communicate at all. And so uh, as I thought about that and considered the first three chapters of Joshua, I thought I would try to make what I know as succinct and understandable as possible for you. And whether or not you understand that, I can't help that. The Spirit of God can do that. Um, But one of the things I thought about what I think is what I think according to scripture could be wrong and what you think could be wrong right and but if i take what i think and put it into words and it's wrong and then i say it to others then i've propagated expanded or reproduced a lie conceptually like that 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 i've told you something that's not true Uh, our small group talked a little bit about this this week in james two or three i think maybe it was this week but the essence was uh there's stronger judgment for the teachers because if they teach you something that's wrong if i teach you something that's wrong today this group will never be in this room again together not this exact same group will never be here so i will never have a chance to correct myself make sense and so the 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 sorting out the filtering of what i say that that's a lot that goes on there there's what comes out of my mouth sometimes is hard to believe but it's been filtered a number of times and and so I think this is critical, what, what I say to others and then what you perceive I said, because um, if somebody is your source of information about who God is, they could be wrong. <laughs> and I lived that way for a long time in my life. And, and the thoughts that etched into my brain while I was sitting on that bench wanting the coach to put me in is kind of the same way of the theology I learned back as a youngster. That theology wasn't true and it affected me and um, caused me time to have to unlearn what I thought back then. But Acts 17.11 is what I would throw out as my great disclaimer today, okay? Acts 17.11 says that those who were in in Berea were more noble-minded than those who were in Thessalonica because they would go home and check it out to see if it matched up to scriptures or not. So that's your disclaimer for today. And um, that this was kind of the reason of why I recreated what I had in mind to say yesterday, because what I um, 
had thought about for many, many days talking about a friend threw one wrench in and caused me to stop uh, what I was saying. And, and he said that he didn't think courage existed, and that was what I intended to talk about. So I thought, I'm going to spend some more time thinking about this before I try to discuss it in public. So what I am saying is that there was something really cool that happened in the first three chapters of Joshua. And Joshua would not have occurred uh, without the life of Moses. So Joshua was Moses's protege, right? In case you didn't know that, that's who Joshua was. He hung out with Moses, um, and, and he knew a lot about what was going on behind the scenes. He knew the tragedy of lack of faith in the nation of Israel. He knew those who were faithful. He knew all that stuff. And the, the book of Joshua starts with him being handed the keys to the nation of Israel for good or bad. Well, Joshua, uh, like I said, he was mentored by Moses. And Moses' message uh, would have been unnecessary. There wouldn't have been any any need for the story of Moses if there wasn't the guy Adam. Have you thought about that? Moses' message is here's a law that you can't keep. Break it because you're going to find out that it's impossible to keep the law and that you need a Messiah. That was the essence of Moses's message. But Moses's message was unnecessary. Had Adam, Adam not been faithless or having less, less trust in God than he needed. And um, uh, because of Adam, because of his rebellion against God, Every single person in this room has spiritual DNA at the time that you're born called sin. You with me? It's a spiritual DNA. It's not an action. It's a thing. It's a noun. And because of Adam, that came down through the bloodline of all time. And it left people in a desperate situation. Adam and Eve, because of that action learned fear and anxiety and animals and I believe creation learned anxiety because of that one act of Adam seven or so thousand years ago. So anxiety came from the seed of Adam and it was prophesied through people like Moses and Joshua that there could be hope, confidence in living in anxious times. And that hope and confidence was prophesied that it would come through this Messiah who wouldn't be welcomed by the masses. The message of the Messiah wouldn't be welcomed by the, the masses, is what all the prophets said through the Old Testament. And he came in the form of a baby, and the whole goal of his life, I believe, was to extract that thing from your being so that the Father could have a family, including you. That he would pay the price of physically dying, but worse than that, spiritually dying, so that you and I would not have to spiritually die. That was the point of the prophets pointing to the Messiah 
And Moses' role in that whole thing was to put a set of rules, only ten, to point out how needy you are for a new being inside of you because you can't keep the ten rules. Make sense? Seem reasonable? I was never told that as a kid, so I, while I was sitting on the bench, those were the things that I believed, and they, they were really distracting. Um, thankfully, in that distraction, I didn't really have a lot of guilt about taking Carl's pizza. So <laughs> while I was rebelling, I did some fun things like have a free pizza on Carl that day. But if you think about myself and Carl as two college students, we were both pretty confident at that point in time in our little subset of the world, right? We had our parents paying our way. We had a place to sleep. We just didn't really have a lot of worries other than the anxiety of maybe not getting an A. I was a child of a, of a teacher who thought A's were the only way out of a classroom, which was definitely outside of my scope of beliefs. I got a card from my mom one day that said, why settle for B's when you can get A's? Mom was a teacher. I, kept, I, I still have it today because I think it could have been one of the funniest things I ever got in my life. Why settle for B's when you can get A's? The answer is obvious. B's are really easy. For me, they were. They were then, so why, why put out the effort? It was basically, I didn't respond to mom. I kept that. But to think differently is completely outside the realm of where I was because that's what school taught me to think this way, think this way, think this way. But as Carl and I both exited college, just a few months later than that pizza ordeal, we had no idea what was set before us. We had no idea the uncertainties, the anxieties, the lack of confidence in the areas for which we didn't even know we lacked confidence, right? That's life coming at you real fast. And we were able to, I, don't, I can't speak for, for Carl, I was able to run into that mess, get beat up a lot, lose a lot of confidence, lose a lot of hope, and in the midst of that train wreck, find hope and confidence in ways that are hard to explain or make understandable to you, according to that graph chart I showed you earlier. I'm, I'm going to give you some, I, I thought of the Getchell brothers, of like I watched them do some construction recently and and kind of seeing you get the foundation in place and then you start kind of putting the pieces together. These are the kind of foundational ideas that bring confidence to my soul to say, put me in coach. And they're very succinct. And so then after I'm done with this, we'll have a opportunity for audience participation. If you want to participate, if not, then we can be first in line at the restaurants. <laughs> I feel like we got an echo or something that just popped up. We're good? Okay. So if I titled this, I'd say living hopefully and confidently in an uncertain time. And these are just the core principles that I just put all my weight on each day. Number one, there is one God. It's like that old saying, this is a ball. I just had to start off. There is one God. Secondly, he expressed himself in humanity as Jesus 2,000 years ago. That, that idea was foreign to me at one point in time, and it isn't any longer. And I just thought 
it might make sense just to help you go back to some foundational things. And those who maybe Luke was addressing, if you didn't know these foundational, these are just critical things. He was assassinated by the religious and the political powers of the day. In the presence of many witnesses. So he is not a fictitious God. He is not Greek mythology. He's not, he, he, he existed because he did that in the presence. The, the actions of the political and the religious leaders was known to many at that point in time. It might, I'll leave that alone. Uh, he arose from the dead, lived a few days on earth, ascended to heaven in the presence of many witnesses. Like that event happened historically. It isn't a little Ricky Bobby baby Jesus that you pray to. This literally happened. He literally is alive today. There's no reason to go to a church if you think he's a little Ricky Bobby version of Jesus because you could join the Kiwanis or do something else, but he literally lives today. He came back to live his life through those who believe him to be God 50 days later. Right after that whole assassination, that entire brutal rebellion against God at that moment, 50 days later, according to the ceremonies, he came back and took residence in the being. Like if you say Jesus in my heart, he's talking about who you really are, the inner person. He connected his spirit inseparably from your spirit. You are one with him if you believe what I just said about him being God. I didn't know that until I was 30 years old. I had no idea of that. And I've been in church most of my life. So I, don't, I, I wanted to go to basics today because I didn't want to assume anybody in the room already, that everybody already knew that. I wanted to point it out that according to 1 Corinthians 6, his spirit is united with yours, inseparable. You can never, the moment you trust Jesus, you can never separate your spirit from his because they became one. Isn't that interesting? So it gives you an assurance of what happens when this body stops, okay? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. He, if you believe what I just said, you have eternal life. Present tense. You have it. It's not something that happens after your body ceases. You have it the moment you trust. And the... Um, the picture I think about during my school days was that a a ray, I don't even know if they teach this stuff in math class anymore, a ray was like a point that starts and then it goes infinitely. According to my math classes as a kid, is it has a starting point and then goes in one direction to infinity. Do they teach that anymore? Is that, they do teach that. And a line segment, oh, thank you. A line segment has two points that it, it fills in that gap. That's a line segment. But a line, I believe, goes to infinity in both directions. And, and so when you have eternal life, it goes to infinity in both directions. 
I, I heard the word everlasting life, which meant from the point, it would be more like a ray, from the point I was born into eternity. But that's not what eternal life is. It's a, it's a line that goes both ways eternally, which would take a long time around one of these tables talking about that. But that's the kind of life you have right now, the moment you trusted Christ, is eternal life, which is really cool. Because eternal life doesn't end, and it doesn't have anything to do with this cessation of this body um, operating. It is going on. There's nothing that changes in who you are the moment your body ceases. You are who you are for eternity right now. Next point. The smaller your God is, the more challenging the mental game of life will become for you. My God as a teenager was very small. My God as a 30-year-old began to expand by my love for him and better understanding of his love for me. And as my God continues to expand, the problems of this world continue to seem less significant. I say that with a straight face, unemotionally, and there have been a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and heartache to get to be able to say that. But that is what I know. The larger your God becomes, the more powerfully he will express himself to you in life. I didn't mention he would make your circumstances easier because I think that would be a Pollyannish version of a God. I have to believe that I have brothers and sisters in Christ roaming around aimlessly somewhere around the Ukraine today. And he's the same God. Their circumstances are horrible, but he can carry them through whatever's going on. That is my God, that I don't put weight on my circumstances because today's circumstances could be completely different than tomorrow's. And if tomorrow's happened to hurt my feelings, I would hate to attach my opinion of my God to my feelings. I would rather believe that my God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I can think or imagine, even though I don't like my circumstances. And I have had a lot of circumstances for which I have not enjoyed, but I've learned to trust him in, in those. Finally, the last idea, I could have, this whole thing could have gone on for days, but I thought I better narrow this thing down. That this is my prayer for you. I pray that the eyes of your being may be enlightened so you will know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance, which is you. I didn't make this up. I stole this from a guy named Paul. He prayed this in Ephesians 1.18. And you are God's inheritance, if case nobody's ever told you that. I don't know if anybody in the room has inherited anything, but generally speaking, inheritance does not come out of a trash can. An inheritance does not come out of a trash can. The small guy that I knew, or I thought I knew as a child, told me that I was trash. The religion, right? 
told me I was of no value, I wasn't important, that I had to do more to be acceptable and appreciated by God. But Paul is saying, I am God's inheritance. A lot of the things that my children might inherit happen to be locked down and secured because of their value. And you are of great value to the God of the universe. And that is a big deal. So these are some of the foundational ideas that I walk around every day, really without putting any consideration on that these are foundational to me, but they are principles that I didn't have many years ago. They are principles that if the sound system goes out and those guys have to fiddle with it for two days, I'll stand here patiently and trust that it'll be what it is. But that it has nothing to do with my own strength. It has to do with those ideas I just gave you. And with that, I would like to um, see if you anybody here has questions about any of those points, has comments about any of those points, about the idea of how does one securely, confidently go about the mess that goes on outside of the walls of this building today. There is a microphone right here that I know the first time I learned to speak publicly, I sweat like a like on the overhead projector and things were blowing up, so I know how stressful this is. But I would love to just do any question and answer with you with any questions about what I said or questions about this idea. How do you live confidently in an insecure place called the world? And you can stump the speaker, so that's okay. Let me ask it, uh, if anybody's gaining the courage to ask me something. Has anybody ever been insecure in their situation in the room? You can just raise your hands. Ron, I'm not, I'm just, just a couple of you. I lived the first 30 years of my life in insecurity, so I, I, I understand that idea. It's been, a good number of years since then, so I don't understand it. It's 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 not as emotional to me as it was. Was I used to spend a lot of time concerning myself with what others thought of me, until I realized I probably ought to spend my time concerning myself what God thinks of me. Any questions? We, um, you know, when you were talking up there, I was. Our family has been through a tough um, last week. Um, my, uh, my nephew committed suicide, um, last Monday with no, um, absolutely no signs of depression or, I mean, just made absolutely no sense. It was almost like you said, that kid that makes quick judgments or quick decisions and follows through with it. It's almost like, I mean, they were literally moving. He went over to get a load of clothes. My brother found him on the basement floor. Mm. You know, he put a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And um, mm. literally two days before that, had a bonfire with his friends, you know. So it just, 
But going through that, um, if if I didn't know what I know now about being secure in Christ and when you're His, you're forever His, and knowing that Austin is with Him, you know, um, it just it changes things. To be able to sit with my brother and assure him that Austin's in heaven, where a lot of them look at that as, you know, the unforgivable sin. And if you do that act, you can't ask for forgiveness. And um, so my faith came to life last week. Not that it, not that it always isn't present in my, you know, in the front of my mind and what I believe, but when you experience that kind of loss and you can sit with confidence in your heavenly father. And um, so I just want to share that, you know, it's, it was pretty, I don't know where, I, I don't know where we would have been and, and to be with my other, bro, you know, my brother, John, that we, we see it exactly the same. And, I look at that situation not knowing what we know now, and it would have been, it would have been almost torment, you know. So, I appreciate you sharing today, and thanks, Father. I pray for the Getchell family that lights will come into their existence so there will be more foundational points so they can appreciate, believe, trust that Austin is in your presence today. Amen. Thank you, Joe. That was pretty humbling. The confidence of Christ, I think, prepares us to be firemen of spiritual lives running into the burning building rather than away from it. And my experience has been in situations like the Getchell family that most will run away from it because they don't know what to say. They don't know what, how to respond. And it, and it's not out of a lack of love. It's from a lack of confidence to run into that situation. And so if you all can, Pray for this family and pray people will run to them. That would be a big deal. Thanks, Keith. Um, your question about, well, all of these points are incredible points. And uh, I, could you address, if, if you would, I mean, knowing what we know doesn't make this an automatic. Um, when you say, you know, dealing with what's going on outside, I have a dear friend and a, and a client who shares similar faith. And he's destroyed right now by everything that's going on. And in fact, we had an email conversation the other day, and he said, he's retired. He said, I have much more time on my hands, I'm sure, than you do. It feels like a tsunami of what I need to pay attention to these days. And so could you address the fact that even though we know this truth, and thank you, uh, for Keith's become a good friend, and I didn't know a lot of what he shared I've been a Christian for decades until a few years ago. But given my friend Steve's comment, could you just address maybe one more time how even though we know this, uh, how do we 
how do we put that into practice sometimes? Yeah, thanks. Um, I mentioned that, like that I said uh, I have been through a lot of heartache. I, I haven't had a family member take their life, but I had a close friend do that and walked through that. Um, Rusty set up a time for me to talk to another family member. So that video is out there somewhere in Leavener archives of that conversation. But that was a traumatizing event for me in a lot of different ways. And um, uh, and so when I think about things like specific circumstances or general cultural circumstances, um, I intentionally mentioned that the people that killed Jesus were the political and religious leaders when I said that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming we have political beliefs all over the co- room here. And if those political beliefs trump my belief about God, then I am not a peacemaker. Um, I am a divider of people. And I think one of the first things God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Like one of the things he said is not good for, it's not good for man to be alone. I think one of the tragedies the last couple of years has been a lot of isolation and isolation doesn't tend to work well for human beings. And so I think to answer your question, Jeff, that there is a, uh, in, uh, it's an old school back when I took computer classes, but there is an idea called Geigo, garbage in, guy, garbage out. And so I have to be very careful what I let come into my thought processes because they then begin to get entrenched in my brain. They begin to have emotions. And um, I need to, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it, I just need to look more at spiritual concepts than physical ones uh, because a lot of times the physical ones I can't control. And um, faith is seeing the invisible. And so... Uh, if I'm looking at a situation, I, I just personally ponder, like, um, uh, we live in this community, maybe in one of the top 50 most prosperous places ever on the planet Earth, <laughs> maybe ever, <laughs> in the most prosperous time ever on the Earth. And people are not joyful, in my observation, not judgment, just an observation. So if they lost that prosperity and say they were in exile in the Ukraine today, what would change in their world? And I think the only thing is a spiritual foundation that is maybe misdirected, that needs maybe redirecting towards the power of Christ, or maybe just a spiritual life, that if somebody doesn't have Christ, then it says in Ephesians, I think they are without hope in the world, which I was at one point in time before I knew Christ. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, I think it's a function of focusing too much on worldly things than you need to. So point number eight, the larger your God becomes, the more powerfully he will live, he will express himself in your life. Can, can you you can you elaborate on on how that works for you? 
I, I trusted Jesus when I was eight years old. I trusted the Jesus that I was told about. Does that make sense? I trusted in the Jesus that I knew at that point in time. So at that moment, my spirit was transformed and united with the spirit of the Holy God. And in my brain, from that eight years old until probably 18, I sat in some teachings that weren't very healthy. And, and that, that vision made God smaller in my brain. If you do this, God will love you more is what I was told essentially. And, it, and the, the things I was told did not make any logical sense. So by the time I was 18, this Jesus I was told about was so compacted in my brain that my pagan rebellious friend's ideas didn't look any better than mine, so I thought I would ch chase after their belief system because I didn't see any power in this little tiny God that I'd been told about. And and the, the lack of power in that God and the uh, contradictions of others speaking from pulpits that were never answered caused me to rebel for a period of time until adversity of a very significant level crossed my path and caused me to consider who God was. And so I kind of just told God when that happened, I'm going to I was being gracious to God. I'm going to give you one more chance to prove that you're God. And I'm going all in on this thing. I was about 27 years old when that happened. I'm going all in. If you're God, I'm going to have to see some power and have the contradictions that I've heard in my life uh, addressed. And he began showing me both of those things. I've seen things. If you watch that video about suicide that my friend Rick and I did, I cannot explain the stories that took place in there. They're unexplainable besides God. And um, so... Yeah, the, the, the God that I had, uh, I, I believed him like a rabbit's foot. I believed that he would get me out of bad circumstances, and if he didn't, he wasn't much of a God. I don't believe that anymore. I believe my circumstances are what he empowers me to live through, whether they're good, bad, or ugly. And I try not to rebel against them. My most difficult, probably one that was really hard, was when... Uh, Connie was diagnosed with cancer several months ago. It was, it was heart-wrenching, but I, I was like, either he is or he isn't. I, I can't control the outcome of this. I have to trust him. Does that help answer your question? Right now, she is, praise God, she is healed right now. What else? I don't. I don't stand before you saying I have this all right because if you'd have seen me at that season, I was uh, I needed some time alone with the Lord <laughs> during that time. But there, there, there. Generally speaking, is a, it, it takes a pretty healthy punch to my face to slow me down in my journey with Jesus. And mostly it's because of those ideas. I just can't. There's other ideas I would, would expand upon, but my desire to present the first three chapters of Joshua in this manner to you was that you could know that you can live confidently in the face of major adversity. Anybody else before I... I think what you know 
and you've found to be true versus what you know and may not be true uh, is a big deal. And, and if you're finding it difficult to live confidently, there may be things that aren't so that are in your thought process. And, and so maybe if you have a friend or somebody that you can chat with about those things, you might be able to find things that are so to enable you to put one foot in front of the other with a smile on your face today, tomorrow, and into the future. My friend Micah is a fixer of the things I don't know. I had a mechanical bypass at birth, and I know nothing. The Getchels, I know nothing about these things that you do with your hands, and so I'm, I'm mesmerized by these ideas. And sometimes what you don't know can be really a big deal. Micah was by our house a week or so ago, helping me with one of the things I didn't know. And sometime in the last year, we have, we're bougie. We have a refrigerator that has two functioning ice makers in it, one that's in the door and one that's down below. And for some reason, the one in the door quit working six, seven months ago, which me being me, I was like, we got two. I don't need to fix the one. That's kind of how my brain, since I can't fix it, we've got a functioning ice maker. And so then about two or three weeks ago, the ice maker that was functioning quit functioning. And so we did not have an ice maker. It was a sad day in the Tyner house. So Micah came by and we pulled this big massive refrigerator out we you know we were hypothesizing because our the the water softener stuff and and we found the where the water there's all these water things um, hoses coming into the back of the refrigerator and we saw how it came through the joint in the door to get down to the thing and and micah finally just told me i don't know keith and i thought well we will call the repair person to fix it for probably two to three hundred dollars or whatever it costs to fix stuff like that. And I believe it was the next morning Connie called me and she said, I fixed the ice makers. There was a button on the very front of our refrigerator that says ice maker that you push once to turn one on, you push twice to turn the other one on, and you do the reverse to turn them off. Evidently, somebody visiting our house pushed them, and we had no idea that existed, even though it was bright there. And so the things you don't know can disrupt you as much as the things you know. But I would encourage you to pursue the things you know about God and see if he can't expand the confidence in this crazy world that we live, that you might be a light in difficult times. Father, thanks for letting us hang out. Thanks for being you. Thanks for being the master of difficult circumstances and being the healer and the comforter of the souls of people as they suffer unexplainable harms, Lord. I can't thank you enough for the way that you're comforting the Getchell family today. I don't even know what that looks like, but I just know what you look like, and I trust that you're comforting in ways that people won't even know for 20, 30, 40 years, but that your spirit is rejoicing with Austin today and, and just really celebrating with him and at the same time comforting those that have been affected by the ripple of that instant decision he made, Lord. 
I pray that when we make instant decisions that are wrong, that we can go to you in our time of need boldly and trust you to give us the encouragement to step forward rather than backwards, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.